0: People can spend their lives with an emotional bully in their head, constantly undermining them, constantly putting them down, constantly judging themselves, and then they wonder why they're depressed. Welcome to The Pursuit of Wellbeing. My name's Maria Brosnan, and I'm an educational well-being specialist and your host for this show. Here on the podcast, I'll be speaking with leading figures in education about the issues affecting schools and teachers today. We'll share tools and practical ideas to help you thrive, not just survive, as an educator. Paul Gilbert is my guest this week, and he's a professor of clinical psychology with over 40 years' experience. Paul explains why it's so common for people to feel guilt, shame, and self-criticism. And he shares wonderfully wise and practical antidotes to this. He helps us move away from having a bully in our head to having a friend in there. And he says, the key thing is looking after yourself so that your relationship with yourself is one of compassion, courage, and wisdom to guide you through whatever darkness is ahead. My guest today is Paul Gilbert. Paul is a professor of clinical psychology at the University of Derby. And until his retirement from the NHS in 2016, he was a consultant clinical psychologist for over 40 years. He was awarded an OBE by the Queen in 2011 for services to mental health. He's researched approaches to psychopathology with a special focus on mood, shame, and self criticism in various mental health difficulties, from which compassion focused therapy was developed. He has written or edited 21 books and over 250 papers and book chapters, and his latest book is Living Like Crazy. In two thousand and six, he established the Compassionate Mind Foundation as an international charity with the mission statement to promote well-being through the scientific understanding and application of compassion. Paul, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Marie, for inviting me. Delighted to be here.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Well, as our listeners will know, I work with with school leaders and teachers, and I often hear there's a real theme around guilt or shame or self-criticism. And, and it occurred to me that I don't think that those states of mind are particularly uh, contained just to teachers and school leaders. I think it's pretty pervasive. So let's just start by talking about that. Why is it so common for people to feel this level of guilt and shame and self-criticism?
1: Well, it's a great starting question. There's a huge <laughs> answer to this one. Um, there's a couple of things, really. I think there's a, there's a way in which we can think about this in terms of a very long view, an old view. Now, look, humans actually existed for a long time in hunter-gatherer societies, which were groups of about 100, 150 for millions of years. And in fact, that's probably why we became intelligent, because interacting with others and understanding them and learning about them and developing reputations, but also uh, being supportive and helpful to each other, was really important for the development of the social brain. And what that meant was that we grew up in communities where we were immediately accepted, and you'd know everybody from the day you were born to the day you died. In fact, a lot of the caring wasn't from your parents, it was from the community, from your aunts, your uncles, and so on and so on. So we actually are a very social species and we do best in the social species and then came along agriculture and that completely changed the ways in which we lived and we now lived in increasing groups, we now lived in hierarchical groups, whereas in hunter-gatherer societies there wasn't that much hierarchy Uh, and then of course aggressive males took over control of all the resources. (laughs) (laughs) Say no more. Say no more. Um, And what happens in hierarchical societies, right, where the top do very well and the bottom don't do well at all, is people start to socially compare themselves. Where am I in the hierarchy? Who do I need to be worried about? Who can hurt me? Blah, blah, all that stuff and so rather than being in the society of inclusions we've actually created through agriculture societies of exclusions and you have to race up the ladder if you're going to be accepted Uh, and this is very bad for the human brain actually there's quite a lot now on coming now it's a wonderful book if you're interested called um, civilized to death it's called civilized to death by chris ryan who's an anthropologist Mm -hmm. who highlights the ways in which modern society has driven us all crazy And as you said, my book, Living Like Crazy, is also the same thing. So part of the reason is absolutely not your fault. It's absolutely not your fault. The problem is we've got caught up in a society that's highly competitive. And in competitive societies, We are encouraged to compare ourselves with each other. We're encouraged to compare ourselves with what we're doing and what we're capable of doing. Should we be doing more? I need to do more, I need to do more. I need to have more, I need to achieve more. So the more, 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 this is all part of neoliberal society. So we're caught up in all of that. So that's one of the social dynamics. And then that gets played out in social media. And then you also have individuals who are, sort of unhappy about all of that stuff and they start attacking everybody else. So then you get also in social media, these sort of groups that go around sort of criticizing people. And it's it's really very, very sad because actually, if you think about the media and politics, they're always telling you bad stories. But actually, if you look at your local community, you go into your shops, if you look at the people, you know, having a conversation with somebody at the bus stop, most people are actually really kind. Most people, not everybody, but most people are. And yet we kind of see the world as very judgmental, that if we don't achieve X or we're not a certain body shape or we're not able to do what, then we're going to be criticized. So that's a beginning, really, of feeling that the world is potentially going to be critical of you if you don't match up. Then the second thing is that because of living with often a very limited number of caregivers, if our caregivers are critical or hostile or abusive anyway, we then internalize that and we can hear the voice of a critical parent or a critical teacher or uh, whatever it is, right? So we internalize the voice of a critical other because that we're living in these close, confined relationships. And the third reason really is because... People don't know how to deal with frustration because typically what triggers bouts of self-criticism is frustration. We get frustrated. You know, I should have done this. I didn't do that. I forgot to do whatever. So instead of being able to just experience frustration as frustration, we all get frustration, Mm -hmm. they begin to launch attacks. If only you hadn't. Why did you? You shouldn't have done you, you know, why aren't you as good as this? Why do you always make you know, so on and so on? So then, rather than experiencing frustration, I'm disappointed this is frustrating, we launch these attacks, and it's the attacks that do the damage, right? The attacks do the damage, and we'll get onto this a little later. Not only is it the attacks, it's the way in which you attack yourself, the emotion that you attack yourself with, the kinds of things you call yourself And we know that when we're working with people who are under stress and depressed, they actually become incredibly bullying, actually. If you said half of what you say to yourself to somebody else, you'd be an emotional bully. Mm -hmm. But people don't realize that they're being emotional bullies to themselves, you know? And the thing is, because they don't realize that, they can spend their lives with an emotional bully in their head, constantly undermining them, constantly putting them down, constantly judging themselves, then they wonder, why am I depressed? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> depressing. <laughs> uh, those are sort of some of the complex questions. Firstly, we've created the society of hierarchy that creates social comparison, also creates intense competitiveness. In intense competitiveness, people start to um, become critical of themselves or worry about others being critical of them and so on and so on. So that's a, that's a bit of a long story. Long ex- um, answer but sort of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a brilliant answer because it covers a huge amount of ground and I guess leading quite neatly into your work then is an, an, an obvious question of what's the way out of that because it sounds it's it's a horrible place to to live to have that bullying voice in our head so what's the way out?
1: Well it's very very important humans are unique but different from other animals because we have the power to reason we also have a capacity for what is called empathy and mentalizing and that is we understand that we have a mind we understand that we have wants and needs that we can suffer and compassion really is about suffering that's what it's about so you know, you can care for your garden, can't you? Look after your garden and you can care for your car. So caring behavior, animals care for their infants as well. Um, that's, you know, that, that's an important psychology, but compassion is the ability to understand that we suffer. So if your garden got flooded, you wouldn't say, oh, I have compassion for my garden, because you know your garden is not suffering. You're suffering because your garden's <laughs> flooded, but the garden isn't. So when we understand the nature of suffering, this is important. So the first thing then is, Recognizing, becoming mindful and aware that your self criticism is h- harmful to you. Okay. Yeah. Rather than allowing it, just fight, pay attention to it. And we can maybe look at this in a, in a bit and I'll show you how to do that. Um, pay attention to it and make a decision that, okay, look, I could be frustrated, I could be disappointed, but I'm not going to launch these attacks on myself. Now, why is that important? It's important because. Those attacks actually are affecting your brain. Look, imagine that you're very hungry one night and you lay in your bed and you fantasize a meal. Oh, yes. (laughs) If you're a meat eater, you know, it might be a steak. If you're a a vegetarian like me, it might be a stuffed pepper. Well, that will make your stomach acids go, won't it? So just imagining, okay, imagine you're laying in bed and you're having the sexual fantasies, nobody there. This will stimulate particular areas of your brain linked to uh, your pineal gland and pituitary and other things that would give a cascade of emotions through your body. Now, you know that, you know, you can generate a fantasy and look, you can deliberately turn on all these systems in your body. Isn't that amazing? If you're laying in bed and you're thinking about an argument that you had yesterday and what you're going to say, getting into vengefulness. In your brain, you will be triggering all these systems in your brain linked to your anger systems. But what about if you practice triggering compassion systems? What's going to happen in your brain? Well, a lot of things happen in your brain, actually, which over time will help you to be able to cope with life in a very different way. If you're critical on the other hand, if you're hostile and critical, what are you doing to your brain? Every time you launch an attack, your brain will start firing up all those stress systems because that's what it's designed to do. So there's no sort of magic in any of this. It's just that your brain is designed to respond to certain signals. And those signals you can generate from within yourself, like you're Im- imagining food or sexual image or an argument, you can generate those images within you, within yourself But if you're going to work with self-criticism, pay attention to what's going on in your mind. Pay attention when you get frustrated. Don't direct attacks back at you. Learn to deal with frustration as frustration. Uh, But if you launch an attack on you, then you've got two problems. You've got the disappointment itself, but then you've got the attack, which is really not good for your brain or your body. Mm -hmm. So when you when you're disappointed. The trick is to recognize that, tolerate your frustration or your anger or your upset and then shift into a compassionate position. So given this is a state of suffering right now, given I haven't done very well, I've made a mistake or this relationship went wrong and I'm so sorry about that. What would be a compassionate way to treat myself right now? Because it's hard, right? This isn't going very well. So you then switch into a deliberate intention to treat yourself in a way that's likely to be helpful, likely to stimulate good things in your brain, not so many of the bad
0: things. I love that. It's, that's, it's such a helpful approach, but what about people that have really habituated, say, say you did have that critical parent and, and the voice in your head, whenever you do something wrong or make a mistake, that critical voice instantly kicks in and it could be your mother or father. And it's just so deeply ingrained in us. Does this practice, this practice of um, self-compassion, just gradually change our approach? Is that what you would suggest?
1: Yeah, yeah, it does. So the point is, that's a very good point that you make because this is what we call an internalized persecuting other <laughs> or an internalized <laughs> critical other. And so, if you're working with if you're working with criticism, and you realize actually. I'm not sure that this is my voice. I think it is the voice of my mother or whatever it is. Then you need to own that, that it isn't your voice. It's not your voice. Would you treat your child like this? Would you do the same? Do you think this is a good thing to be doing, to call your child names? Now, if you don't think, then it's not your values. It's your parents' values, not yours. If you wouldn't do exactly the same thing and believe it's good to do it, then these are not your values. And if they're not your values then learning to live your life by your values is crucial. Now, what happens is when we have an internalized other, we can be very frightened to get rid of it. Let me give you an example. A thousand years ago, wherever, there were a group called the Aztecs who used to sacrifice to the gods because they're very frightened of gods. Because if you have these authority figures that you're frightened of because they can harm you, Or help you you've got to get them on side and it's the same when we're kids you know if the parents can help us or hurt us we've got to get them on side how do you do that well what the aztecs discovered was you have to sacrifice them you have to submit to them you have to show that you will do all these things and they were even sacrificing their own children now the question is what happens the following year when there's still the droughts they've sacrificed their children last year blah 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 There's still the diseases, things are still going badly. What do people do? Do they say, oh, hang on a minute, these gods aren't any good, we'll go and get some new ones. No, they don't. What they do is, what have we done wrong? How have we upset you? We'll sacrifice more. And there is no evidence at all of any of the priests going on to the altar and saying, oi, oi, you (laughs) bastards, (laughs) we gave you our children last year, where's the bloody rains?" (laughs) So the point of the story is that if you internalize a hostile other that's also fearful, you internalize it as a fear, you're frightened of the other, it can be really quite frightening to stand up against that. So you have to do that slowly. You have to begin to recognize that, firstly, this is not really my voice, not my values. Secondly, it was the way in which I was treated, and therefore I have to find the courage to begin to say, actually, enough is enough. Uh, and I'm not really going to, I'll hear the voice, but I'm not going to uh, uh, take it as my own. Now in psychotherapy, what we do um, is we tend to help people work through the big three. Now in therapy, whenever you have a trauma or something like this that goes wrong or something that doesn't work, you have the big three, which is anger, anxiety, and sadness. Those are the big three. So what we would do then is we would in- enable people to, Imagine expressing their anger to the critical other. And if it's an abusive other, that can be rage, really. Also, uh, acknowledging the anxiety and the fear that they had. Look, I was so frightened of you, you know. I was so frightened of doing things wrong because you just jump all over me. And also the grief. I wanted a parent that would love me. You know? I wanted a parent that would make me feel good and, and value me. And so so these are th- in this is in therapy, these are three core emotions that we sometimes work through with clients who have had re- hostile relationships that have made them feel inferior or no good. Then you have to be able to stand up against that. You have to acknowledge your anxiety to that you had, and you have to be able to acknowledge the sadness because. We all want to be loved, don't we? We don't want to be threatened and put down. So that's what we would do in therapy. Now, when you're working by yourself, then the key thing is firstly, if you it is an internalized voice, that recognizing it's not your voice, not your values. But it might be quite frightening to stand up against that voice. That's not your fault. But there are steps that you can do if you take it slowly, just recognizing uh slowly, slowly over time. Look, I'm not going to listen to this voice. I'm actually going to feel that the voice was quite unjust what <laughs> it didn't really understand it didn't have my best interests at heart not really not really and maybe the, the 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 person that was critical of me maybe they were pretty screwed up anyway so and so on and so on so the, these are ways in which you can work with that but a lot of the criticism um that we have for ourselves is because we're frightened we're frightened to be rejected we're frightened of being seen as no good we're frightened of being marginalized you know we're frightened and so in therapy, what we often do is that rather than working with a self-criticism directly, we work with that fear uh, and talk about the fear of not being any good, not being wanted, maybe remembering being bullied at school or uh, being rejected in whatever ways. You know, you, you often find that people who are very self-critical have an underlying fear of disconnection. They don't feel connected. They feel that they're vulnerable to being rejected or not good enough or whatever.
0: Well, that weaves back really neatly to the very first point you made, Paul, about how we've evolved as a society to be disconnected and that we are wired to be social creatures. And especially with this last, you know, 12, 15 months of um, really radical disconnection, um, it's no wonder that people are feeling The emotion of that and the kind of residue of that, because it's still not over, there's still a great deal of uncertainty, and especially for teachers and leaders, already we're recording this in June, but already planning for September. What if? We don't know. And I don't know. What what could you help people do when they're trying to wrestle with these problems of uncertainty?
1: Well, I think it's great, isn't it? I think what we're saying is that there are two streams to keep in mind mm. there is the realities of life yeah. right? the realities of life that's the first stream and how are you going to deal with the realities of life you know some people very tragically have lost loved ones and so forth these are realities you can't you know so how do we cope with these horrible horrible realities but the stream that you're talking about is the stream about how do we relate to ourselves because mm. if you are in a stressful environment and oh my goodness aren't you particularly if you're a teacher, it's horrendous. The thing you need more than anything else is a friend in your head. If you've got part of you that just kicks you about when you're struggling, then you're really going to struggle, aren't you? So the first thing is that ensure, practice some of the compassion exercises that maybe we can talk about a little later, that you will make it. That's the part of you you're going to strengthen up because compassion is the part of you that has courage and wisdom We can maybe come on to that a little later. That gives you courage and wisdom. Compassion will give you courage. So developing the courage to then think, okay, so what's coming up is going to be stressful. So how can I prepare for that in a way where I can feel supported of myself, in a way where, yeah, things are going to be a bit of a roller coaster, to say the least. So what do I need to do while I'm on that roller coaster to to keep myself grounded, to keep myself focused to keep myself aware of always trying to work out okay so what's the compassionate thing to do here what would be the most helpful thing for me to think what would be the most helpful thing for me to to to, to solve this problem um, of whatever it is supposing for example you've got too much marking to do and just feel overwhelmed okay so let's take some time out and think okay look there's an awful lot to do um what would be the helpful thing for me to do? How could I work through this in the best way that I can? You know, if I was advising somebody else, if I was advising a friend, if I was helping a friend. Almost certainly you wouldn't tell your friend to criticize themselves and just get on with it, you know. You'd find ways of thinking that. So find ways in which you can do difficult things step by step and looking at how you're thinking about this thing looking about what would be a helpful way to think looking if you is there anybody that can help you can you recruit other people to help you sharing your difficulties with others so you don't feel alone that's very important we're all in this together we're all going through this together recognizing that some people do seem to cope better than others <laughs> i've always found that in my life it is some people seem to march through these things terribly easy and i used to struggle you know i can't do this <laughs> So all of these things are just part of our nature. But the key thing really for today's talk is looking after yourself so that your relationship with yourself is uh, one of, com- of compassion, courage, and wisdom uh, to guide you through whatever darkness is ahead.
0: Mm. And uh, and I think I love those words of compassion, courage, and wisdom. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about those
1: well, yes, I think the point about it is, you know, if we look at what compassion is, right? Yeah, you know, the compassion really uh, evolved in mammals. I mean, it evolved in other species as well, actually, but um, primarily, but not only through the maternal line, where the mother became sensitive to the needs of her offspring and would respond to them. So we call this an algorithm: if A, do B. You know, if if there's a lion, run away. You know, if it's food, <laughs> if it's sexual, engage. You know. Don't get that wrong. <laughs> that get you into trouble. So you must make sure you get the right A with the right B, the right act. You know, stimulus and the right action. So compassion, the caring, then is if distress or need then respond appropriately so many many animals for example will feed their infants when they're hungry they will protect them if they need to be rescued if they got lost or distressed they will keep them warm thermal regulation very important and we talk a lot about you know warmth and that's because we're warm-blooded and we need to be kept warm so compassion then is basically caring where we are sensitive to the distress or the suffering in self and others that's the a being sensitive paying attention to the signal and then the b the response is um doing something to alleviate it working out the wise way to alleviate it. because there's lots of ways of doing things that are not very wise if i was to see somebody fall into a river and i think i must help them so that's, that's kind of sensitive but then i can't swim so i drown too so that's not terribly wise uh, so wisdom is extremely important. And wisdom is not, uh, you know, people often think that they can just have it naturally and to some extent that might be true. But when it comes to our minds, there are things that we can learn to do, just like how to treat our body. What is a good diet? What's a good exercise regime? How could I actually get my body to be tip top and fit? These are things we can learn to do, right? Um, and the same with our minds, you know, we, we can develop the wisdom of the mind. We can learn to understand the mind. How does the mind work? We can learn to notice, for example, that no living thing chose to be what it is. No elephant chose to be an elephant. No giraffe, a giraffe. No human, a human. No male, a male, or female, a female. Nobody chose who they are. We all just found ourselves here. Nobody chose where they were born and how they were brought up. Nobody chose that life. You know, If I'd been brought up in a violent drug gang, if I'd been kidnapped as a three-day-old baby into a violent drug gun and beaten up every day, this version of poor girl (laughs) wouldn't exist. But I wouldn't have chosen that. So we begin to become aware then that one of the wisdoms of compassion is that we've all found ourselves here with a brain and a body that's been built for us, not by us. It's got all this capacity for anger and anxiety and fear and self-revelation and self-criticism. I didn't put that in there. (laughs) That's been built by genes and stuff. I didn't choose any of it, right? There's a lot that goes on in my head that I would never have built into. <laughs> What's going on? You know? um, so all of us are I caught up in this. So the first, one of the most important things is wisdom is to realize as a human being, a lot of what goes on in your mind is not your fault. You never built it. You don't want it. You know, if you fall into depression or anxiety, you didn't choose that. You didn't wake up one Sunday morning and you thought, oh, you know what? Life's a bit boring. I think I'll be depressed next week. Yeah, that'd be fun. Why am I going to practice being depressed? No, it doesn't work like that. All the things that causes suffering just come. They come onto us. So we have to then learn how to deal with them. And that means learning to stand back and to remember we never chose any of this stuff, right? We can learn how to deal with it, but it's not our fault. We've got it. Uh, that's an incredibly important mm-hmm. issue. And all humans are the same, right? We're all the same. And humans can be one of the worst species that have ever existed if you think about the roman games the holocaust i mean the tortures we've invented i mean humans have a potentially very nasty mind indeed mm. but that's not possible nobody woke up and said you know what we could be nice but i don't think i will i think i'll be a torture that'd be fun when it mm-hmm. it doesn't happen like that if we create certain circumstances Humans can be absolutely vicious, very dangerous, and they're very dangerous to other animals. As a predator, we treat animals terribly. So if we learn to pay attention to what's going on in our mind, not take it personally, it's not personal, right? Mm. The fact I got depressed or anxious is not because there's anything wrong with me. It's because I've got a brain that can do that. And in the case of depression, there's 300 million of us out there who can get depressed, right? We never chose any of that so the, the wisdom of compassion is recognize that you can become mindful of how your mind works right and then make choices about how to take compassionate action how to be helpful okay but don't over identify with it don't think oh this is me and the same one with me because you never built any of that you didn't choose it uh, but it is your responsibility or our responsibility to work with it as we've got it so we Talk a lot about this with our clients. You know, it's the same. Like if you're driving down the motorway and suddenly hit a, you know, a snowstorm. What do you do? Well, you slow down and you drive carefully. Is mm-hmm. it your fault? There's a snowstorm. No, it's not. But if you don't slow down and drive carefully, you can crash. Is it your fault? You got all this stuff in your brain. No, it's not. But if you learn how to deal with it, if you learn how to switch into compassion that will start changing the systems for you. But if you stay on track with just raging or uh, uh, being hostile to yourself, mm, that's like keeping driving in the snowstorm. It's it's not going to be helpful to you. So notice, become aware, don't own, realize you've got a brain you never chose. But if you move into compassion for yourself, being sensitive to your suffering and your pain, and really finding the wise ways to deal with this and the, what's going to be the most helpful way for you, that's the way forward. And if you practice that on a, on a regular basis, you will find that over time, your mind will automatically slip into, okay, I'm feeling upset now. I've got a problem now. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling anxious. Okay. So what would be helpful to me right now? What would be helpful to me in that right now? And you gradually move into this so that you actually do learn to drive your car differently according to the conditions, <laughs> if you yeah. see what I mean.
0: That's a great analogy. So, so practical. And Paul, you've talked a bit about the role of emotions and emotional regulation. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that?
1: No. And the other thing I think we're also finding is that when we are compassionate to others, this is good for us as well. Mm. Uh, compassionate acts. Um, we trigger oxytocin and other uh, the vagus nerve, other things in the body. Uh, So being genuinely wanting to be helpful to others. And, you know, that's the good thing about teachers is that a lot of them, of course, are there because they want to be helpful to others. Mm. Um, That's the point. So the key thing is also holding on to your basic motivation. Why are you doing what you're doing? Now, the world might bash you about and try and knock you off course and overstress you. But at heart, that's what you went into it for, to try to be helpful, It might be difficult to do that in the current circumstances, but always hold on to that deep intention. That deep intention was to be helpful. Even if you think, okay, well, I'm not always as helpful as I'd like to be, and that that happens. We can't be perfect. You know, things go wrong. But just constantly reminding you of your intention, your intention, and learning to focus on the things that you feel have gone okay remembering certain of the smiles of your children that you're working with remembering the things that have gone okay because we have what is called negativity bias it's very easy for us to focus on the things that didn't go on okay because our brains are designed to pay attention to negative stuff <laughs> you know? we use a we use an analogy like you know you go christmas shopping and you go into ten shops and then Uh, nine of the shops the assistants are really helpful and you think oh great then you go into one shop and the assistant is extremely rude and they keep you waiting and then they try and shortchange you and then they try and sell you something you don't really want so you come out of that shop really angry and annoyed who are you thinking about on your way home you know (laughs) and when your partner comes home who do you talk about (laughs) see everybody knows this right and then you say to people, so, so what happened to the nine out of ten people that were kind to you? Do you ruminate about them? Do they go over and over in your mind? Do you remember how helpful they were? No, you don't, because you're going to focus on the person that's really annoyed you, that's making you really angry and wondering if you should write to the store manager <laughs> because they were so rude, so unbelievable. I mean, so we focus on the negative, you know, and that's not our fault. Again, that's what the brain is designed to do. Um, but if you let it, uh, then you can end up in places that you don't particularly want to be. So again, it's taking responsibility. This is a brain you didn't design, you didn't design it that way. But if you notice what it's doing, you can make a decision. You can say, okay, well, I've got every reason to be angry, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remember deliberately, because I want to change my brain, um, all those nine people that are helpful." I'm going to remember that one in that one shop that helped me get a, uh, this present for my daughter because she's going to be so pleased with that. When you do that, you see, just imagine what you're doing to your brain when you're filling it up with the things where people were helpful to you, wasn't that great. Whereas if you stay with the, the person who's a bit of an asshole, then you're just going to feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> and your brain will want you to do that. That's the thing people don't realize. It's called negativity bias. We tend to focus on the negative. And if you think about all the times you worried about stuff, right? Things have been going great in your life, but what do you end up worrying about? Did it ever happen? Was it as bad as you thought? Usually not. So when we get into states of high stress and worry, the other problem is the brain is now really is focusing on negative stuff, right? And so if we can practice the certain compassion refocusing and learning to focus on things that have gone a little better, things that are going okay, and fill our minds with that, that helps the brain.
0: And, Paul, as we start to kind of draw our conversation to a close, you mentioned um, that you could possibly t- talk us through some practices or some, some strategies that that our listeners could take away and, and start to do immediately.
1: Yeah, okay, great. So, look, um, firstly, I think pay attention to what, what your body, right? So there are some practices that are really quite good. Now, you have an autonomic nervous system, which has two branches called the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And basically, the sympathetic is your drive system. It's what activates, you know, makes your heart rate beat faster, releases sugars for energy and does all kinds of things. And this is the system that gets activated if you get very excited about something, but also if you get very anxious and angry. So it's an activating system in your body. It puts everything up, gets you ready for action. But you have a parasympathetic system, which is to do with relaxation, rest, and digest. And the parasympathetic system is a sort of a braking system on the sympathetic. So it's like an accelerator and brake in your car a little bit, not quite like that, but a little bit. Now, we know that when people get very stressed, they drive, drive, drive their sympathetic nervous system. They're in the sympathetic nervous system arousal all the time. And so what you want to do is to practice stimulating your parasympathetic system because that's your breaking system. That's your rest and digest system. That's the system that will gradually help you slow down. It will bring balance to your mind. Okay, So you're going to focus on your vagus nerve. Now, There's lots and lots on Google, if you want to go and check this out, how to train your vagus, V-A-G-U-S, the vagus nerve, how to do that. And practice doing that, because that will help balance you. So here are some things you can do. When you're practicing some breathing, make sure that your shoulders are back and you have a little curve pointing in. So when you're sitting forward, like over your computer, the curve of your back is pointing outwards, but when you sit up and lift your shoulders back, the curve of your back points inwards. This lifts your diaphragm. Now the diaphragm is a very important area for stimulating your vagus nerve. And so we invite you to breathe in and out through your nose at about five second breaths, okay? So one, two, three, four, five, and focus on the rate, the depth, and the rhythm of the breath. So the rate of the breath is about four breaths per minute, something like that. So you, you breathe in for five seconds, a little hold at the top, and then breathe out for five seconds, little hold at the bottom, getting into a nice rhythm and trying to feel that rhythm in your body. And as you're breathing like this, uh, imagining hearing in your mind in, in as kind and soft a way as you can, mind slowing down. So you've got this nice breathing then, getting this five-second breath or thereabouts, and just get that sense of breathing and slowing in the body really focus on the experience of slowing in the body slowing in the mind and uh over time you'll notice that your body starts to feel a little heavier like the chair holding you up you feel the weight in, of you in the chair so this is called grounding so you're grounding then the next thing then is practicing developing the breathing pattern that stimulate the vagus and again there's lots of different things you can try on the internet go and have a go then the third thing really is when we generate this to imagine uh, a compassionate face so generate a compassionate face which is a, a friendly face as if you're greeting somebody that you really care about and again you can practice this yourself you know sit there do your breathing with a neutral face or a slightly frustrated face and then create a friendly face and try and create the recall the feeling of greeting somebody that you really care about, right? And just notice the differences when you have different facial expressions. So you can do that in an experiment. So so you've got your breathing, you've got your posture now, you've got your breathing rate, you've got in your mind this concept of mind slowing down, you've got your facial expressions now. And then the next thing is to bring your wisdoms, okay? Then the wisdom is as you're sitting there reminding ourselves that we all just find ourselves here. Nobody chose to have a brain (laughs) the way that it is. The human brain is potentially fantastic, but it's also can be pretty bad. Um, That's nobody's fault. But you're going to make an effort to kind of just choose to practice compassion and then uh, making the decision that you will try as best you can to always be helpful, not harmful. So when it comes to you or to working with other people, or if you've got arguments with other people, it's not being submissive, it's being assertive, where the idea is to really address the issue and not just to attack, for example. So there you go then. So you're practicing your breathing, you're practicing your grounding, you're practicing generating friendly facial expressions, and you're practicing this basic wisdom about... This is a brain you've been given. It can be really tricky. It's not terribly well designed, but you can improve on it if you practice. Like our bodies. Our bodies are not terribly well designed, but we can improve on them. That's why we have medicine. That's why we go to the gym. You know, We can improve on them. We don't have to accept them as they are. So practicing those um, things are very good. And do do go on to Steve Porgus. If you see any of P-O-R-G-E-S, Steve Porges. Any of his videos are good to watch as well. <clears throat> so this is a way in which you um, focus. Now, the other thing I would suggest is that practicing acts of kindness each day, because kindness is really, again, a, a really uh, important prayer, It's different to compassion. You don't need courage and wisdom for kindness, uh, but you do for compassion. But nevertheless, kindness is a very important thing. Um, emotion to try and create within yourself so just walking down the street and you're making sure that you kind of smile at people as you walk past take a genuine interest in maybe the shop accountant how are you doing Just friendliness developing a basic friendliness a desire so when people see you or they walk past you they get a little buzz of dopamine they get a little positive feeling by interacting with you, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something that you want to do because it's good for you, you know, it's good for your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some things then that you can go and um, check out. And as I say, you know, we're uh, Marie's going to send around the li- link so you can go and listen to some of the talks about how to be compassionate to yourself. Mm-hmm. So the key thing then is Marie's been saying, look, you know, when we're very, very stressed and we are teaching is known to be very stressful, Uh, tragically, for reasons that are absolutely not your fault. But if you get caught up in this self-criticism, that really is just going to make things a lot more difficult for you. If you have difficulty, learn to create a friend in your head and learn how then to work with compassion in such a way that you can begin to find what you need in order to face the obstacles or the difficulties in front of you. And always talking to friends and colleagues about this, sharing with them, helping them, letting them help you. These are the ways in which we can face the difficult world.
0: Thank you, Paul. That's a wonderful summary of everything you've said. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up?
1: No, no, I think um, teaching is a You know, one of the most important professions, isn't it, really? And increasingly now, it's wonderful to see just beginning, you know, mindfulness and compassion training are coming into schools. Right. Not only for teachers, but also for students as well, because if you think about it, the most complicated uh, and the most dangerous of all things in the universe is the human brain. That's the most dangerous thing. Humans have been responsible for untold suffering to other humans. Mm -hmm. We are potentially a nasty species. Mm -hmm. So when we take responsibility for this, and we can be very nasty to ourselves as well, when we take responsibility, we have an opportunity to really change, right? And only now, I think in the last uh, 50 years or so, have we got enough science to understand what's going on in our brains when we think certain things or when we create certain relationships. So I think the schools of the future will do much more in helping children understand their minds, helping them understand their emotions, helping them to understand the value of compassionate behavior with each other, the importance of caring and sharing. I think that's coming. We've been through this dreadful neoliberalism where it's compete, 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 driven by these dominant males Um, most of whom have been to boarding school and are completely (laughs) studied. Um, But actually creating, um, I mean, if you talk to the teachers, they want to create compassionate schools, no doubt about it. That's what they want to create. Uh, And if we can facilitate them to do that, I think it would be fantastic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's certainly a very positive note to finish on because I couldn't agree more. That's what teachers and leaders do want. Do uh, and want that's it. why, yeah, that's why they came to the profession.
1: And we have a Compassionate Schools program, as you know. So we just done a whole lot of research on it. We've got some papers and things we can send those around. So, yeah, so uh, so it's, it, it is it is. At one level, very um, inspiring at the moment, because this is what people want. And coming out of all this this horrible virus, people say, let's build a compassionate world. Let's build a compassionate world. And if we can pull everybody together, if we can really harness the energies of people who want a compassionate world, and most people do, Yeah. Uh, we, we, we can uh, I think we can achieve great things once we want to do it and once we realize what we're up against the human brain is a potential problem so let's learn how to work the damn thing <laughs>
0: <laughs> and when we learn how to, to work the damn thing we can build a very compassionate we
1: can. World. <laughs> we can we can we can and we will
0: yeah yeah I have no doubt Oh, Paul, thank you. I've been speaking with Paul Gilbert. You can connect with Paul and you can see all of the resources that he uh, described. There's lots of videos and lots of resources on the website, uh, compassionatemind.co.uk. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Marie. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to access tools and support to help you manage daily school pressures, stresses or anxiety, head to our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends.